Thank you, Will. Good morning. Thank you, Murphy Road Baptist Church, for allowing me to come out this morning and just share how God has worked in and changed my life. I'm so grateful for my friendship with your pastor, Dr. Lash Banks, and just for his Christian leadership in this community. Also good to see John Fletcher and Will Smith, graduates and a student of Dallas Baptist University, and it's graduates and students like these that add luster to our university's name. Not long after I completed my doctorate degree, my mother sent me an email, and in it she said, I don't think I told you when you were in junior high, after I would drop you off at school, I would go home and lay across my bed with my Bible open and pray for you. I did that several times a week. I don't know if you ever realized how painful it was for me as a parent to see you struggle academically. I know I was not the perfect parent. I needed to be to you at times, and I'm truly sorry, but you were always in my heart, and I was constantly praying for you. I didn't know what else to do at times but to pray. I really loved you, and I felt very guilty for not being the mature mom you needed. I remember when we lived in Southlake, as I continued to pray for you one day, I sat on the floor at the foot of my bed and was praying for you. I sat there very frustrated with the Lord and just couldn't figure out why God was not answering my prayer. I felt God encouraging me to start praising Him for what He was going to do in your life. So I did at that point, and that's when I really saw God start to move in your life. I think that was in 1998. 1998 was the year that I moved off down to Houston and began to attend Houston Baptist University and the year that I really began to see God move in my life. And thank God for praying parents. And even when you don't know what to do or what to say, when you continue to go to God and earnestly pray before Him and seek His will in His own time and in His own way, He'll hear your prayers and answer them. And I'm also so grateful for those that stood alongside my parents and encouraged them and prayed with them during difficult times. And even a pastor and his family, maybe it's especially a pastor and his family, need people that will come alongside and just encourage them and pray with them. Some of the things I'll share with you this morning may be surprising to some of you. I know that with this Sunday school face, I give off the impression that I have it all together, but that's far from the truth. And appearances can often be deceiving, and I don't want to leave you with a false impression of who I am. I'm no great preacher, and many of you may know much more about the Bible than I do, but as I stand here before you this morning, I'm reminded of the man born blind mentioned in John chapter 9. He was a beggar on the streets, but one day he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus gave him sight. And after hearing about this, people in the town and Pharisees began to harass him and just ask him, how is it that you can see now? We know that you were born blind. And he gave him, replied to him several times and finally just said, look, I, all I know is that I once was blind, but he touched me and now I can see. I'll never fully understand Jesus, but what I do know is that he's touched my life and now I can see and that I can share with you with confidence this morning. And I don't stand before you as a towering spiritual leader, but as a person who's been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And by all means, I'm not perfect. And as long as I'm on earth, I never will be. And every day is a maturing process for me, and each day I must continue to ask God to change me. All throughout the Bible, we read 
of stories of people who had their lives dramatically changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And maybe you've read most of those stories, but you still wonder if God still changes lives today like he did in the Bible. The best way I know how to express to you that God still changes lives is to share with you my own story. And giving my testimony is not an easy thing for me to do. It's very humbling, and much of what I have to say is difficult for me to relive, but I share it with you so that you'll be encouraged and have faith in Jesus Christ. I was blessed to have Christian parents, and when I was a young boy, we moved to Fort Worth so that my father could attend seminary. Shortly after we moved, however, I was molested by a neighbor, and unfortunately, that's one of my earliest memories. And I'm sure my parents wondered why this happened to their son. I'm sure their conversations with God went something like, God, why would you allow this to happen to our boy? We're trying to serve you, and you allowed this to happen. Why does our family have to suffer like this? The question why do bad things happen to good people may never be completely understood. But what I do know is that we've been, a lot, been through a lot over the years as a family. And that God can redeem those difficult situations and use them for his glory. Some of the hardships our family went through, I, we didn't do anything to deserve or ask th- for. Some of the difficult situations we went through, I personally brought upon our family. Through them all, however, I watched my father just remain steady and consistent, never losing his faith in God nor his love for him. And as a leader of our household, my father guided us through some difficult days. And as a result, the deep-rooted strength and character and faith developed in us all. This strong faith didn't happen overnight, though, but over many years and through some difficult situations. And growing up, I was one of those rebellious preacher's kids. I thought my parents just wanted to keep me from having fun. I didn't understand why I couldn't do many of the things that my friend's parents allowed them to do. It wasn't that my parents didn't want me to have any fun. They were just older and wiser. Even though it may not seem like it sometimes, your parents are just looking out for your best interest. And I can't tell you how much trouble it would have saved me had I just listened to and obeyed my parents. But I didn't want anybody else telling me how to live my own life, and I wanted to make my own decisions. I thought I knew it was best for my life. The only problem was when it came time to pay the consequences for the decisions I made, it wasn't very much fun. For every action, there are consequences, and whether we like it or not, we'll pay the consequences for our actions. As I got older, the trouble I got into became more serious. When I was a freshman in high school, I was arrested or detained by security on several occasions. I began to abuse alcohol, and it wasn't that I always wanted to do bad things, but many times it was the influence of the people that I placed myself around. You know the saying, you become like the people you put yourself around. That is so true. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Those are truths that you can't escape. That same year, some of my friends began to make fun of me and say I was dyslexic because I didn't do very well in school. And when I would read in front of the class, I would struggle through sentences and some of the kids would 
uh, laugh and make fun of me. So I began to agree with them and say I was dyslexic even though I wasn't because I felt like it gave me an excuse for not being very smart. My sophomore year, some of the girls I was dating my parents didn't approve of, and I became sexually active, and I can't tell you how much that decision has affected my life even to this day. During football season that same year, I made some bad decisions. was at a party that I shouldn't have been at, that the police showed up at, and so I was suspended and playing in the homecoming game that next week. I wasn't even allowed to go and watch the game. That same year, I even began to experiment with drugs. My junior year wasn't any better. As a matter of fact, it got a lot worse. I wasn't living for the Lord. I continued to hang around people that weren't living their lives for the Lord. I was making horrible grades. I'd always hated school. I'd never really done well. And in the spring of my junior year, I discovered that a girl I was dating had become pregnant. And only 17 years of age, we were both very scared, very immature. I felt like if the community had found out that the pastor's son had gotten a girl pregnant, that possibly my dad might be asked to step down as pastor. And even if he wasn't, I thought that maybe he'd be too embarrassed to go on in the ministry. After agonizing over what to do, we secretly decided to have an abortion and waited several months until school was let out. After that decision, I found it difficult to handle and cope with my emotions, so I I sought out unhealthy ways to deal with those emotions. My senior year, what should have been one of the best years of my life, ended up being one of the worst years of my life. I was starting both ways on South Lake Carroll's football team. We just won two back-to-back state championships, but partway through the season, I made some bad decisions at a party. I ended up having to spend a night and day in jail, And the next week, I was called into the coach's office and told that I was no longer allowed on the football team. I was devastated. I became very depressed. Up to that point, I worked my whole life for football. It was a guide to me. Began to speak, spin into a downward spiral of depression. My girlfriend, who I was dating, didn't want to be with me anymore, and I can't say that I blame her. But I tried to control her, and night after night, I would try to make her stay on the phone with me. At this point, I didn't want to live anymore. There were nights that I even held a gun to my head, just not wanting to live. I was just so ashamed of the person that I'd become. I just couldn't face people in the eyes. I was so embarrassed of the life that I had made for myself. But I couldn't pull the trigger. I didn't want to do that to my family. As the year continued became more and more depressed. There were days that I would drink before school, days that I would go out to my car during lunch and drink just to help me get through the day. And I couldn't face reality. With a month left of school, the assistant principal came and got me out of in-school suspension and brought me to his office. And when I got to his office, my parents were sitting in front of his desk, and he asked me to sit down behind his desk. And he said, John, you're out of control. You can no longer stay here at Carroll. But if you'll go to rehab, we'll allow you to walk with the rest of your class. So I agreed to those terms and went to rehab. And afterward, I went and lived out of town with my aunt at her invitation. And things were good for a while, but again, I found some more people who weren't living their lives for the Lord, and I would hang out with them, not making decisions that were glorifying the Lord. 
At the end of that summer, some of my friends were enrolling in a community college there in town, and I had no direction for my life at that point, so I thought I would go ahead and enroll in the community college with them. And I took 15 hours, and at the end of that semester, the only two classes I passed were art appreciation and racquetball. And the only reason I passed art appreciation was I convinced the instructor that landscaping was art, and I went and raked her leaves, and she gave me a C to pass that class. But, uh, that won't work at DBU, just so that you know. <laughs> After that semester, my father said, if you're not going to take school seriously, you need to move back home. So I did at that point and uh, started working again with some of my other friends. I was making bad decisions. This continued for about another nine months, so I was so sick of my life that I lay in bed at night and just prayed that God wouldn't allow me to wake up. I felt like I was the shame of our family. At one point during high school, my sister even left that school and went to a private school just because she was so embarrassed of her brother. But one night I just asked God (laughs) just to give me another chance at life. At that point, however, I wasn't ready to quit doing some of the things I was doing. I wasn't ready to stop hanging out with some of my friends or to leave the girl I was dating, but I began to feel a stronger conscience of the things I was doing. And New Year's Eve of 96, 97, I remember I went out to party that night and I took one drink and I was just said to myself that I, I don't want to live this way anymore. is isn't how I want my life to be. So I struggled for about another two weeks making a decision just to live for the Lord. And I had a good friend that I met at church. We went to different high schools. Coincidentally, he was a ministerial student at DBU, and I think the only reason he hung out with me is because we both loved to fish. And one Saturday night, we were going fishing and. I pulled my truck over, and I, I told Aaron the decision I was struggling to make. And Aaron prayed with me right there, and he said, John, you know, tomorrow's Sunday. And at the invitation of the service, if you want to walk down front and make a decision to, to live your life for the Lord, I'll walk down front with you. I said, Aaron, I think that's what I want to do. So that next Sunday morning, at the invitation of the service that my father preached, I stepped out in the aisle with Aaron by my side, and I walked down front. I threw my arms around my father. Just told him how sorry I was for the life that I'd lived. I told him that I wanted to live my life for the Lord. And with tears in my father's eyes, I said, John, I love you. When you were born, we gave your life to the Lord. That was one of the best days of my life. I, I felt so much relief on that day. I felt like I'd been at the bottom of a dog pile. It was like somebody had come in and just started throwing people off me, and I could, I could finally breathe. And it was the Lord that day that was setting me free, that Jesus had come in and just started pulling off all the layers of the sin and the guilt and the shame that I'd just spent years covering my life with. I knew at that point I was going to have to make some major decisions. I knew I couldn't continue to hang around the friends that I was hanging around with. 
because I knew that they'd be too strong of an influence on me. I knew I, the girl I was dating, she wasn't ready to live her life for the Lord, and that wasn't a decision I could make for her, but I did have to make that decision for myself. And it was lonely for a while. I didn't have very many Christian friends. All the Christians I knew my age I thought were nerds. But I was wrong. I began to pray that God would just surround me with good Christian friends, that he'd begin to just give me confidence, because at that point I had no confidence. I just couldn't look at people in the eyes. After becoming a Christian, I thought God was just going to bring all these great opportunities my way, that, that I'd have a great job, and that I would do well in school. Well, a year went by, and I didn't have all that happened in my life, I realized that God wants me to work hard and that he's going to bless my hard work and I need to ask for God to continue to just be with me and help me to change. God began to surround me with good Christian friends that encouraged me. That time, uh, there were days that I knew I needed to get back in the Word. I knew I needed to read the Bible, but I had always struggled in reading. And I could read a whole paragraph uh, five times and not even comprehend or understand what I just read and many times halfway through I would uh, just be daydreaming and get lost and I'd time myself at that point and it'd take me 10 minutes to read a page but I began to go to a pond near my house I'd take my fishing pole and I'd take a backpack I'd throw my bible in the backpack I'd take another Christian book and I'd alternate between fishing and just reading just soaking myself in God's word in a little over three and a half months, I read the entire New Testament and almost a dozen books. And God really began to bless my life as I just sought Him, began to pour myself in His Word. And I decided that that next summer that God wanted me to get back in school. So I enrolled in a local community college. I took uh, three courses. I made two B's and a C. And I thought, this is great. This is the best grades I've made in a college semester. And my dad took me to visit Houston Baptist University that summer. I, I had no real direction in my life, and I thought my father's not going to steer me wrong, so I decided that that's where I'm going to go that next fall. I enrolled at HBU that next fall, and it was uh, a struggle for me academically. I'd never been challenged like that before. They were on the quarter system at that time, so they had three quarters during a school year and then a summer term. And after my first quarter down at HBU, I made a 1.33 GPA, which is a D minus, and I thought, this is it for me. I'm not going to be able to... to uh, finish up school I just need to move back home and find a job my father however encouraged me to stay at HBU and just continue to give it another shot I remember thinking if I can just maintain a 2.0 GPA that I could graduate from college and I realized that that time that socializing was not why I was at school to get a degree was my purpose for being down in Houston and I thought if I could just graduate possibly maybe one day that God would use it as a platform to glorify him. That next quarter, I went back down, and many times before I would study, I would open up my Bible and read Scripture, and I would pray. Just It would help me focus my mind. I would try to go to maybe a classroom that nobody was using, and I would stay in that classroom by myself. Many times security would have to kick me out because I would stay in there late at night. In my third and final quarter of my first year, what? Excuse me, that next corner, that second quarter, I made a 2.63 GPA, which was a C plus, and I thought this was great. And then my third and final quarter of my first year, I made a 4.0, which was all A's, and I couldn't wait to get home and tell my father about halfway between Houston and Dallas. I pulled over and called him and told him that I'd made a 4.0, but 
I don't think he actually believed me until he saw my grade report. (laughs) And that next year going back, I knew I needed to continue to make changes in my life. I knew I needed a a good strong roommate that would rub off on me and be an encouragement and be a good influence on me. I chose a guy named Ross Shelton. Coincidentally, Ross is actually working on his Ph.D. at DBU right now. I chose Ross Shelton as a roommate. The only B I knew him to make the entire undergraduate time was the semester they broke up with his girlfriend, but I would see him study all the time. I might leave the dorm room. He'd be at his desk studying. I would come back. He'd still be studying. He was a good influence on me. By the time... By that time, God really began to work in my life, just in in my academic area. And God really began to mature me and grow me spiritually as as I sought him. He began to open doors for me. God really began to bless me at HBU far beyond anything that I ever imagined in my life. I want to share with you just some of the awards that God blessed me with while I was at HBU, not so that you can say what a good person John Leinberger is, because if you leave here this morning thinking that, you miss the whole point. But I want you to know what God can do with the life of somebody at one time was hopeless, was somebody who didn't want to live, was somebody who'd made some terrible, costly decisions, was somebody who's broken every one of the Ten Commandments. By the time I graduated HBU, I was voted into who's who among American universities and colleges, the National Dean's List. I was a National Collegiate Social Sciences Awards winner, a National Collegiate Education Awards winner, elected into the Psychology National Honor Society, an officer in the International Honor Sociology International Honor Society. I served on the Student Judiciary Board and the Ministry Leadership Council. I was a Student Senate Chaplain and Chairman of Husky Leadership Conference. I wasn't allowed to participate in two homecoming games while I was in high school because of poor decisions I made. In my senior year at HBU, I was voted homecoming king. And as a testimony that you become like the people you put yourself around, When my roommate, Ross Shelton, and I graduated, we both received the President's Award and had our names placed side by side in the Walk of Honor at the university. At one time, I thought I would never graduate from college, but today I have a doctorate degree from the University of Alabama. And God's continued to bless my life far beyond anything that I deserve. In 2007, Frisco Style Magazine named me one of four people to watch. In 2008, Collin County Business Press named me one of 21 leaders for the 21st century. In 2009, the Dallas Business Journal named me to their list of 40 under 40. In that same year, I was named Citizen of the Year by the Frisco Chamber of Commerce. The same year, Frisco was named the fastest growing city in America, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. I thought I never deserved to get married or to have children because of the horrible decisions that I had made. But today, God has blessed me with a beautiful wife, two beautiful daughters, and a handsome son. And I hope you don't think that I'm being arrogant by sharing all this with you, but that's what the Lord can do with a person who at one time didn't want to live. I thought that I dug such a deep hole from my life that I would never be able to climb out of it. And that's true. But God reached down and pulled me out. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Psalms 103, 1-13 is written by David, and it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, 
who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's very easy for me to identify with the psalmist David because like him, I've committed some horrible sins in my life. But when I humbly go before God, he is eagerly waiting to forgive me and to restore my life. And I also believe that when David talks about diseases in this passage, he includes the diseases of depression, low self-esteem, of drug addiction or pornography or whatever it is that you may be struggling with in your life. And I could never have done anything to have earned God's forgiveness for the sins I committed. But it's in God's nature to do so. And he forgives us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve anything that God's done in my life. But what Jesus deserving has nothing to do with it. Listen to me very closely because... It would do none of us any good if I were just to stand here and lie to you this morning, but I've experienced the power of Jesus Christ in my life. And that same hope and power is available to each and every one of us. Today you may be struggling with your own challenges, and I want you to know that life doesn't have to be a dead-end road. That you can put your hope in God because He changes lives. And life hasn't always been easy following Jesus Christ, and many times it's been very difficult it may be hard for you to believe, but even after I gave my life over the Lord, there were times that I struggled with deep depression. And when I did, I had to give that over to the Lord because it wasn't a burden that I could carry on my own. But God can, and it's been over eight years since I've struggled with depression. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to make God out to be some scientific formula for success or for his name to be used in some kind of incantation to get you what you want. But Jesus Christ has been a relationship that's offered hope from my life. For years I thought that if I could just change the people around me, I'd be happy. I tried to talk down and intimidate people, and all that did was create resentment and bitterness, and that will never work. I must ask God to change me. Many of us spend far too much time trying to change the, our friends or family members when what we should be doing is asking God to change us. For years I mistreated my family thinking that I could change them, and I created walls, but I can tell you that God has torn down those walls, and I'm closer to my family today than I ever have been. And God can restore in your life what it seems like the devil has taken away. And maybe we're all too guilty of praying for God to bless us all the time instead of asking for God to change us, for when God changes us, it's the true blessing. The situations in this world, many of them may seem hopeless, but we have Hope in God, and all it takes is a sincere and humble heart before Him. I'm not naive enough to think that just because you're attending church today that you aren't struggling or haven't struggled with some of the things that I've mentioned this morning. 
And even if you haven't acted out, perhaps you have in your heart. Maybe you're like I was and just playing the church game, showing up on Sunday mornings, looking like you have it all together, but living a completely different life outside of your friends at church. Let me tell you that that doesn't work and it'll only make you a lot more miserable. Outwardly, you may look like you're right, but on the inside, you might be a mess. And I've tried a lot of what this world promised me would bring me happiness, but in the end, it only brought a lot of pain on in my life. Maybe today, you're in need of a revival, God's Spirit, and your life. Why not start today and start right now? I want to encourage you by telling you that there's nothing worth missing out on the plan that God has for you. And right now, God may want to do a work in your own life. One of my favorite quotes is by an unknown author, and it reads, The future is that time when you'll wish you had done what you aren't doing now. But I also want to share with you that you don't have to have a testimony of going off and doing your own thing and then coming back to the Lord. If my friend Aaron Crawford hadn't have been living his life for the Lord, he wouldn't have been there for me that Saturday night to encourage me to give my life over to the Lord 100%. And you can be that faithful person that God uses to help somebody else turn their life around. Galatians 6, 9 reads, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. God's promises are real. Life isn't always perfect. Marriages aren't perfect. Families aren't perfect. Jobs aren't perfect. But we have a perfect God that knows what's best for our life. As much as I'd like to be perfect, I'm not. I make mistakes quite often, and many times I feel like the Apostle Paul when in Romans 7 he says, I do the very things that I don't want to do. But I once heard a minister say that God hasn't called us to be perfect, just persistence in our, persistent in our obedience to him. And praise God that he doesn't stop loving us or working in us just because we make mistakes. As I mentioned, I still make plenty of mistakes. I've made mistakes as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a manager, as an employee. But God loves us and in spite of our mistakes. And don't worry about what others will think of you if you decide that you need to rededicate or live your life 100% for the Lord. It doesn't matter what others are going to think of you. All that matters is what God thinks of you. If I had worried about what my friends had thought of me when I decided to change my life with God's help, I don't think I'd be where I am today. And there may even be some Christians in your life that will begin to talk negatively about you or false about you, may even criticize you. Criticism may even come from people you least expect. Don't worry about them. There were even people in my own church that began to start rumors and say that the change in my life wasn't real. But I don't think they're talking today. And even in the parable of the lost son, his own brother, after he'd come home, talked critically of him and was jealous of him and didn't want to celebrate that his brother had come home. But you can't worry about the haters in life because there's plenty of them. You just have to sidestep them and move forward in the calling that you know God has on your life. Perhaps today there's an area of your life that you're struggling in. And I know it can be embarrassing to share it with others and to ask for prayer because many of us feel like we have to have the perfect life, especially living in this affluent area. Let me tell you that that's pride and that's a lie. And the truth is that we all struggle with hurt of some kind. 
and we should work to encourage one another through our struggles. And life can still be tough and difficult at times, but we're all in this together. And don't believe the lie that you also have to get your life cleaned up and in order before you decide to make that change to live for the Lord. If we all waited until our life was clean enough, we would never get there. But God will accept you just the way you are. And he'll work in your life and help you mature as a Christian. And I'm still maturing and will be for as long as I live. There are times that life is still going to be difficult, but I can tell you that I'm much happier living my life for the Lord than I ever was living it for myself. And you're not here by chance today. I believe that God wants to work in each and every one of you and that God has a great plan for your life. The question is, are you willing to allow God to use you? If you feel that God is calling you into a deeper relationship with him, I want to encourage you not to let another day go by without fully surrendering to live your life 100% for Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. God used a young boy named David to be the Philistine and a giant for his country Israel. He was only about 13 at that time. God used Noah when he was in his 80s to lead the Israelites out of Egypt in captivity. Maybe God's put a huge dream on your heart. Pursue it with all your might and don't... Don't miss out on the plans that he has for you. If you want to make a change, start today and start now. In closing, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord if you feel that he's been speaking to you today. And as Paul comes forward to play for the invitation, as the ministers make their way forward, I want to ask you just in reverence for the Lord if you would just bow your heads right where you are. There is no greater feeling, no better peace than knowing you're doing God's will. Maybe today you just need to get your life real with God. Maybe you've made some terrible mistakes in your life and you're wondering if and how you will ever recover from them. Well, today is a new day, and today you can move forward with God. Perhaps you're like the prodigal son and you finally come to your senses. You've realized that you don't have to eat with pigs anymore. It's time to come home to the Father. Maybe you have a son or a daughter or a sister or a brother or mom or a dad or maybe just a friend and you know they're not living their life for the Lord in the way that God intended them to live their life. And you want to pray for them. Maybe you're in a dating relationship that you know is not honoring God and you know that you need God's help and to give you the courage to do the right thing. The message of God's word is this, that Christ came to redeem, to restore, and to renew your life. Jesus said, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Proverbs 3.34 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I know that committing your life takes a step of faith, but this morning maybe you want to rededicate your life and you want to come forward this morning.
your steps forward could be your first steps and act of faith to Jesus Christ. And if you want God to move in a powerful way in your life, humble yourself before him. There were so many times as I was struggling to live my life for the Lord, I would come at the end of the service and just throw myself on the steps and just cry out to God just to change my life because the habits that I spent years building in my life were too difficult for me to change my own and I needed his help. Maybe this morning you just want to walk down and get on your knees and your face before God to pray for a friend or a family member, maybe a job situation or whatever it is that's going on in your life. You know you need God's help. That you can't do it on your own and you don't have to. God wants to help you. We can kneel on these steps together. As Paul leads us, I'm going to be on my knees praying for you. If you want me to pray with you, just tap me on the shoulder.